Hello and welcome to the Life's Too Short podcast. This is Jason Medina. And Lisa Hurley. Coming at you with a very special social distancing edition of the Life's Too Short podcast. Lisa, how are you holding up? Yeah, we're not in our we're not in our normal studio. No. Um, trying to get used to this uh this new platform of of Zoom meetings and and trying to have conversations like we're actually in the room sitting across from each other, but we're actually not. I know. So for our listeners, I am recording from the studio. I will say I missed you bringing coffee to me this morning. I know. I'm sorry I couldn't buy you coffee this morning, but I see um, that you are drinking coffee. What do you What do you got there? You know, ground the beans. Put it through the put it through the the machine, and here's what I've discovered. One of the, my major discoveries during all of this: when you make coffee at home, it costs you ten cents a cup. <laughs> when you do the math and figure out how much you know a bag of beans is, depending on your bag of beans, and so we, Leanne and I, do envelope budgeting. So I discovered I have more beer money now because I'm not spending as much money on coffee. Oh, perfect! That's a that's always a good thing to have extra beer money. So what are you and your family doing to? entertain yourselves during these, you know, social distancing times? Lots of, uh, let's see, games, um, walks around the neighborhood. Uh, it seems like people are really getting into, um, crafts and things that they haven't done. Like I'm assuming you're probably learning how to make kimchi and burying it in your backyard or (laughs) what are you doing? Lots of board games. We've been a board game family, and now we're trying almost a game close to every night after dinner just to hang out. My oldest daughter has discovered baking, which is a, a double-edged sword, um, because I've heard that the COVID-19 is kind of like the freshman 15 to where we're all going to gain 19 pounds when this is all said and done. That's so true. I think everyone's going to have their... Uh... Kind of like a New Year's resolution, post-COVID resolution of of exercising, eating better, and and exercising more when yeah. this is back to back to our norm. Exactly. Though I I've been trying to get out every other morning at six and go for an hour run because a I just need to be active and be outside and there's nothing more beautiful than a bend morning at six in the morning as the sun's rising. Yeah, I'm hearing tie dyeing is really popular right now. Oh, interesting. I've noticed that I've been reading, um, reading about it and watching other virtual kind of, um, you know, those morning shows, like everyone's in tie dye because they're, they're tie dyeing all their clothes at home. So that's the other thing we'll probably see a a lot of tie dyed, um, made at home clothing. Well, I'm excited. We have a really special guest today. Yes, we do. Would you like to introduce him? Because I would if, love if I do it, I'm going to screw it up and lose my job, I'm sure. We actually today have um, Eric Alexander, who is our CEO at Partners in Care. He has been our fearless leader for, gosh, Eric, how long have you been with Partners in Care? I think I'm in my 14th year. I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, time flies when you're having fun. Sure does. Yeah. So we're so excited to have you here on our um, virtual podcast. Uh, We'll definitely have you in the studio again, and we'll do this um, face-to-face at some point, but we're we're excited to have this opportunity to talk with you today. So thank you so much for being here. Are are you drinking coffee? 
Uh, actually, I'm between drinks. Um, I mm. made my coffee this morning, the same as as Jason did. Ground my own beans, um, and I, I I I have as much as many beer chits as coffee chits. I don't do uh, <laughs> one for the other. At any rate, um, I've had a good cup of coffee this morning, and I'm sitting in my studio, which looks out kind of on my backyard, looking up, and there's a deer looking in my window. This beautiful doe. So I'm anxious to to chit chat with you guys a little bit. Thank you. I I don't think I realized 14 years and would love to ask you what what has kept you in the game for so long? What keeps pulling you in week after week, month after month? Well, it's a it's a great question. I've asked myself the same thing. I, I really had not intended to start with partners in care at all. It goes back, I think, as I retired from St. Charles in 2006. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something after taking a rest. I wanted to do something different. It wasn't going to be in healthcare. Friends who were on the board at then Hospice Center uh, suggested that I come and work for Hospice Center, and I was sort of diffident about it. I wasn't playing hard to get. I really wanted to just have some time to to reflect and um, to run and to write and do other things. One thing led to another, and I agreed to be a uh, kind of the interim CEO, they had l- lost, uh, they had had trouble keeping administrative staff. They'd had five leaders in eight years, and that and that was revolving door um, kind of policy was tough on the organization. Anyway, I became very entranced with the model of hospice care, the fact that it's so uh, organic, um, it's holistic. Uh, and it really was a different model than the acute care model. And I think more than anything, Jason, that's kept me coming back to Partners in Care for to make sure that it had good, solid, stable leadership, a culture that supported its caregivers. And it just has been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to serve, and even though it started out sort of diffidently. I still can't believe I... I, I've been here 14. Just he- hearing me, myself say 14 years seems odd. The organization has uh, built itself in a lot of ways, and it's gotten to a scale and to a reputation that I think is really, really strong. I'm proud to be with it. It's kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> we're going. We're all going through these changes. You were just talking about um, how um, these this social distancing is changing everything. Um, Working from home as a CEO is really takes me out of the flow of the organization. It's very difficult, but um, it's necessary right now. And everybody's doing what they need to do. Well, Eric, you've done so much for our community. And I I was thinking, I don't know if you know this, Jason, but Eric and his wife have been in Bend for a long time. They've they came to Bend before it was hip and cool to be in Bend. Did you move to Central Oregon? Was it in the 70s? We came in 1971, Lisa. Um, I just finished a master's program in business and journalism at, at U of O and um, apprenticed myself to Bob Chandler, who was the uh, owner and editor, owner and publisher of the Bulletin. And so we arrived here in the dead of winter in 1971. We've seen a lot of changes. Oh, I'm I'm sure you have seen a lot of change. I was just going to say the inter- one of the interesting things in um, this COVID episode that we're in is how life has slowed down, 
And it's very, if you drive it, we drive around, there's the, the normal traffic that we experience. Uh, it just isn't there. And it reminds me so much of, the, of those early 1970 years um, when life was slower in Bend and the, the Bend that everybody is saying we're losing was still here. And it's, it's really a, a, actually a plus. Um, I guess one of the things, one of the silver linings in this cloud to be able to sort of slow down as we, as we live our lives. And it goes back to, again, what our podcast is all about, you know, enjoying life, focusing on the things that are, are really important. And um, during this time, we were sort of uh, more forced into that. But I know that I've been really appreciative of being with my family more and doing activities. I mean, we joked about, you know, what we're trying to do to get through this and, and starting new hobbies and crafts and things we haven't done before. But um, it's funny that we don't just do that normally. Like that we, we are doing it during a time that we're like, well, what, else, what am I going to do now? Um, why don't we do that just in everyday life? As I recall, you were born and raised, most of us call it Missouri, but I believe you call it Missouri. Yes. And you served in the Navy during the, the Vietnam War. Then you got your master's, you moved to Bend. You have seen quite the social shifts of our country in your lifetime, both just growing up in, I assume, rural Midwest, you know, serving with our military, moving to what once upon a time was rural central Oregon. Mm-hmm. As you look back on, I assume, you know, 60, 65 plus years, what do you see are positives now that came from all that you lived through? Oh, my goodness. Um, a great question. I think, uh, first of all, a, a couple of, of uh, fact adjustments. Oh, okay. I actually was born in Astoria, Oregon. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that. And, and I don't think I ever said that. But um, I didn't know that either. I was born in Astoria. And I, how that happened was my father was in the Navy. Um, and it, it was during World, World War II, um, 1943. And he was in the Navy and he was sent aboard what it was called then um, a Jeep carrier in this to, to cruise into the, the war zone, the battle zone of the South Pacific. Oregon and Washington were the shipyards of those two areas were great producers of um, naval ships. And they were cranking them out uh, just almost on an assembly line fashion. And so he was aboard what was called a Jeep carrier. It was the smallest of the aircraft carriers they made. And he picked it up. He was to pick it up after it was christened uh, in Astoria, Oregon. So I was here with my mother, uh, obviously. And uh, so I was born in in the little hospital in Astoria. Uh, My grandmother came out from Missouri and uh, on the train uh, to help with me for a while. We were here for all of about eight weeks and then took the train back to this little town in the northern part of Missouri, the farm farming country of that area. And so that's where I grew up uh, and that's where I met Marlene. I uh, took her to the prom when she was a freshman and I was um, a junior. And so we've um, grown up and 
and been together all these years. And so when I was finishing up in the Navy, um, I was taking an airplane from Whidbey Island to flying it to uh, the re, uh, refit facility down in central Florida, flying over the Cascades, knew I was going to get out of the Navy, didn't know what to do. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take uh, this opportunity to go back to my roots. And so that's what got brought me to graduate school at the University of Oregon, 69. And so um, we, we have been here ever since. Um, we've become, I've, I was an Oregonian to start with. Marlene became an Oregonian. I promised her it never rained in Oregon and um, promptly took her to Eugene. She's, she's never forgiven me for that lie, but I think I'd have to dynamite her uh, out of the desert. She's become a real, um, she has a huge affinity for the wide open spaces and the, the kind of broad beauty of the Oregon high desert. So we have, we fell in love with Bend and, um, and have kept in love with Bend all these years, even with the, with the changes. So it's been, it's been a great, and I've, I've been fortunate to have at least three careers uh, in this community and, and loved each of them. I'm not finished yet, but um, it's been, it's been really a love affair with, with the town, with the people, with the lifestyle and certainly with the things that I've been, I've been honored to be able to do and the people I've been honored to work with. It's not over, I hope. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> so we're, we're sort of in a pause right now or in a, like everybody else, we're in a, a place of reflection, I think. 6 a.m. runs and those sort of things, Jason, I, I certainly, I, I, I share your, um, your love of those things. So Eric, obviously, you know, great organizations need great leaders. But that is especially true in a crisis situation. My question for you is, what are you most proud of as the leader of, of our organization right now? I mean, we, we not only, um, you know, are facing all the challenges a lot of central Oregon businesses are, are facing right now, but we're also in healthcare, And we're also um, caring for really fragile folks. Um, what are you most proud of? with how um, our organization is handling this and our staff is, is coping and persevering during this time? I think the thing, one of the things that continues to amaze and um, just humble me is how workers in, in healthcare, particularly um, caretakers, caregivers in end of life care, and the autonomy that they have and the trust that is placed in them to go into people's homes and to take care of people, not in uh, a hospital unit where you have a lot of structure around, but basically you're out there as, you know, kind of on your own dealing with a very, and sometimes very volatile situations and challenging situations. You have to have a lot of, lot of skills and a lot of character to do that. And our teams, uh, they con continuously amaze me with how strong they are, how practical they are, how compassionate they are, and how courageous they are to do the work that they do. So when you add to that uh, something like the entire healthcare system in the United States is experiencing right now, when you add the, the element of an infectious disease that we've never seen before, uh, it just amazes me and makes me 
so proud uh, to be uh, associated and affiliated with these types of people and what they're doing. They're, they're brave uh, and just doing a wonderful job. I've always been struck by that. And even I was, I was cruising um, our emails this morning, answering emails, and just looking at the interplay uh, meeting reports of our three-time-a-week huddle of the caregivers to check up on each other and to make sure that care plans are being followed and, and uh, figuring out you know, changes to make in the moment and how incredibly skilled these people are and how our organization has somehow gotten the, the assembled the people and, um, and has the, assembled the experiences and we are really good at reacting to things. We've had a number of other challenges along the way, administrative challenges, OIG questions, and a number of other kinds of things that we had to work our way through. I think our teams are really good at self-organizing, um, gathering around the problem, figuring out solutions. Leadership pops up from groups and, um, and, and, and co collaboration and cooperation comes up all the time. I think we've just gotten really good at that. And I think part of that has to do with the kind of work that we do, end of life care, autonomous, uh, autonomous uh, caregiving, and having to work together. I think it's a, I, I sort of think that it's, it's a function of hospice and end of life care in general that, that gives people those skills and it translates into organizational skills. And I think that's one of the thing that has, things that has have been at the core of making Partners in Care a strong organization. What I've tried to bring to it is, mm. is consistency, um, visibility, and, and a presence. Uh, hopefully, it's a presence that uh, engages people and makes people feel mm -hmm. wanted and needed and listened to. And I think that translates down into our leadership all across the board. And so um, I would have to give whatever credit for that really have to give it away because that's that's how I think we've gotten to be the organization that we are today. Yeah, I'm I'm in constant awe of our clinical teams. Um you called them brave, but I I don't even think that they would describe themselves as brave. They just put patients first and that's always top of mind for them. So I I think for them they're they are just so caring and compassionate that from their perspective, what else are they going to do? They're going right. to keep doing the great work, um, and and seamlessly, not knowing that behind the scenes there's so much support for them. You know, to ensure that they can do that safely. Right now, obviously, with greater attention to um, PPE needs and and ensuring that our patients are safe and that our staff is safe and that our community is safe. What wisdom have you gleaned as the CEO of a hospice organization? Another way to put it is, what would your present self tell yourself 14 years ago that you wish you would have known as a leader? I, I remember um, when I took over, um, it was hospice center was um, 
um, 60 patients, uh, about 60 employees. Um, and they'd been through some, uh, basically, as I mentioned, uh, they'd had a, a number of leaders that, that didn't stay. The organization was really wounded. And so I remember uh, telling people that we could get everybody in the, in the conference room and, and have you know, room for the New York Yankees. I remember telling everybody, uh, I'd like to have you each just make an appointment and come in and talk to me. And so I opened my door and one by one, people would come in and, and we'd just chat. But the one question I asked them, uh, all of them, was what should we as, as an organization um, never not do or never we should not forget? And I remember um, by the time I'd had 25 or 30 of our staff come by and, and ask that question, routinely and without fail, never forget the patients that you serve. Never forget the role that we're the business that we're in. And uh, it's really, there is a business side to it, but it's not a business. This is, this is a human service that we're giving. And uh, although nobody used the words uh, sacred, it was very clear that this was a, a sacred value for the people of this organization. And that has been constant through the last 14 years. Of course, I retired in healthcare from St. Charles. And you would think, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't understand that, but what I understood probably on a much deeper and much more, much more personal level was that this is what motivates caregivers. And if you're going to be in a leadership role with caregivers, you need to keep that topmost in your mind and, and never, ever, ever forget that. So I have been taught in this role um, as CEO. I've been taught more than I've taught, I think. And that's one of the things that uh, stands out in my mind about being in this organization at this time still. So it's a great question. Um, it is the why of, of why I've come back and or what, why I've stuck around. I, part of that is that there, I have some things that we really want to finish. One of them, of course, being the, the expansion and the, the expansion of Hospice House so we can serve better in the future. And then the other is um, helping us and, and others who, are, who we want to be collaborators with helping us find a future together in this region that is truly, that truly makes what we do in end of life care stable and a part of the future of healthcare. That's kind of my mantra these days. Even if I'm working at home, looking at a deer outside my, my study, um, that's really why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, you have been a treasure to work with. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eric, so much. Yeah, really appreciate all your your wonderful leadership over the years. And um, I hope that you never retire, but if you do, you have such a great storytelling voice. Um, you would be great on um, Audible. Well, this is Jason Medina. And Lisa Hurley. And you've been listening to Life's Too Short. <laughs>